Morning, guys. Um, I'm supposed to say it's a privilege and it's an honour and I'm excited to be talking, and I am, but at the same time, when they suggested, you know, maybe we should get some younger preachers, I was like, no, you shouldn't. But um, I, I'm glad to be here and, and able to share the word with you. It's really funny. Of all the things you could be worried about when preparing a word, uh, the biggest thing was for me was like, man, I hope I can last 30 minutes. Like, It's a long time. So if I start talking really slow... You know what I'm doing now. I'm just like trying to stretch it out that little bit so I can hit that 30 minutes pressure. Um, yeah. A um, little bit about myself. I think those preachers that come from somewhere else, they always cheat, eh? Because they get to introduce themselves and it takes a couple of minutes of their 30 minutes. So I'm going to do that. Uh, a lot of you, um, nah, a lot of you already know me. My name is Rani Iradea. I lived in Kaitaia all my life, about three years where I went away. And I was homesick and used to come back every fortnight. But um, I love this place. Grew up in the church. Um, gave my heart to the Lord multiple times, as we all do. You know, you get that preacher that comes. You feel convicted in your heart. Give your heart to the Lord. Uh, I remember Barry Smith come up, and he did like, it was like four, four-night meetings. I got saved every night. You know, I was scared of the end times. And, um, and we do that. So I'm pretty sure I'm saved. And, um, yeah, it, it's been a cool cool journey for me growing up in the church. My mum and dad uh, were pastors for a long time, and, um, you know, I, I used to like, you know, when your parents are pastors, you're supposed to behave in a certain way, and I used to love not behaving in that way, just so people go, ooh, it's a naughty boy, but, um, yeah, nah, awesome childhood, awesome growing up, and I love being a part of this this church, and, um, just the possibilities of, of what's going to happen. Not possibilities, what is going to happen here in our church. So, um, yeah, I should get started, eh? Funny thing, um, I was writing out my notes because I don't like the computer because you can't scribble on it. And um, so I was at home. I didn't have any paper. So, true story. Don't look at the back of my notes. I've written all my notes on my tax return. And, um, yeah, straight up there it is, yeah. But um, it'll work, it'll work. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to open in prayer. I love um, Pastor Pam's prayer, eh? Which he says, Lord, uh, let it be your words that these people hear and not me. So um, uh, hopefully nobody came to listen to me. I, and I hope you don't listen to me, but I hope you hear what it is that God would have you hear um, through the words that I speak this morning. So thank you, Lord, and amen. So um, anyway, this morning I wanted to um, kick off. I should slow down, eh? I wanted to kick off with a couple of stories, man, and they're, um, they're stories that you know. They're hypothetical, but they're real, eh? And um, every one of us either would have seen this or been this, and um, this is the context I want to give to the word I want to share this morning. So um, story number one is, and um, oh, I can think of situations now. I won't name names, but um, people get saved, and it's fantastic. It's awesome. Hey, and um, I don't know, God comes through for them. Hey, you're saved, and then you hit a situation, especially if you're fresh saved, and then, um, ooh, something's a bit hard. God comes through, there's a miracle, there's provision, there's restoration in your family, and we see amazing things, and it's like, yeah, man, look at those. They came from that, they're saved, God did this, and, and it all looks rosy, eh? Skies blue, butterflies, everything. We're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, over a period of time, the wheels fall off. And you're like, ooh, what happened there? Wheels fall off. And in many cases, I'm sure you can think of one, um, people end up worse 
than they were before they started, eh? They go all the way back. They're drinking, they're partying. Family's falling to pieces. It's like, what the heck is that? Story number two is a good Christian boy. Hey, get saved when you're young. Go to church forever. Every Sunday. You're faithful as you go to church. Um, if you're big, you've got a family. Your family looks together. Hey, kids are good. They sit down. They're not too noisy. Um, you're, you know, you've heard the good preachers, been to the conference, got the t-shirt, you know, all the slogans. Hallelujah, brother. Amen. Um, but when you get down to it, where's the change? Where's the transformation? Where's the power? And where's the fruit of that? So um, this morning, can we be a little bit honest up in here this morning? And um, if I'm to be honest with you, the second story applies to me. I'm still in the church. And the questions that I've been asking myself over the last little while is, where's the change? Where's the transformation? Where's the power? And where's the fruit? It's in the Word. We see it. We hear it. We get good preaching. Every single week, we get good preaching. They come in, and we're like, yeah. Yeah, what? Hey, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we come back and like, whoa. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, come back. Yeah. But where is the real change? Where's that power that it talks about in the Word? Um, you know, when Jesus says, and we talked about it, eh? What did Pastor talk about a couple of weeks ago? Get out of the boat. It was like, yeah, man, that was cool. Hey, Pastor Pam last week. You plus God, or what is it? Ordinary. That's you plus God. Extraordinary. Woohoo! And what? What did you do from last week to this week? Nothing. We went back and we did the same old, same old. And some of those things might have been good. We might have read our word. We might have gone to connect group. But where's the change? Where's the transformation? Where's the power and the fruit that God said is ours if we look closely in our word? So, um, yeah. And this word is to encourage you. Oh, and it will, man. We'll get to some happy stuff. <laughs> so anyway, um, the title of my message, and it's coming up on the screen because I did a PowerPoint, is uh, get rid of your stuff. What does it say at the bottom? Why you should and how to start. Um, and uh, I don't know. Well, I did think that up. You know, all the good preachers, man, they have a mean slogan, and I had about five. And then last night, I don't know, somehow my wife came across like an article on hoarding. And no lies, this is the title of an article about hoarding. And then uh, the next one's got a picture. Yeah, and I think it applies, man. It's going to apply quite well to the word that I'm going to share this morning, eh? So get rid of your stuff. Me. Cheers, bro. So um, we've all heard, um, well, I hope we've heard. If you've been here for even just once, you should have heard these things. Man, the prophetic words over our house is that it's a new era, there's an acceleration of expansion coming, it's going to be a new era of conquest, there'll be momentum that never ends, there'll be an increase in unusual miracles, and that we will be left astounded at what God will do. And man, that's something to get excited about, eh? Prophetic word from God about our house. And I do, I'm excited about it, and I even believe it. But as I was saying before, and what? I don't want to miss out. So that's where I'm heading. And initially I was like, man, I want to preach an awesome word about the children of Israel going into the promised land and taking over things. And like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this conquest in this new era. And, um, you know, people love that. 
it's encouraging and it's uplifting. And then for me, it's like, God was like, yeah, but where are you at? And I'm back at this place where I'm asking those questions like, where's the power? Where's the transformation? And where's the fruit? And um, so that's the story I'm going to go with. And we'll get to that new era stuff later on because that's where we're heading. Um, so before the promised land day, eh, there's a story, and we're all pretty familiar with that story. And it's a lot like, actually, it's pretty much exactly the same as the two stories that I shared with you before. You know the story. The children of Israel being in captivity for 100 years, or hundreds of years. And uh, Moses gets a call up, gets a Snapchat from God, or Twitter, or whatever it is, burning bush styles back then. And um, I'll shorten the story, or else we'll be here for ages. Well, that might be a good thing. No, um, so Moses, you know, after he plays up a little bit, oh, I can't talk, gets help. But you know, you know the story. He goes, and he does the business, say. There's plagues, there's full-on everything, you know. It's hard out, it's amazing. Yeah, set my people free. Anyway, so eventually the people are set free, and they're on their way. The same as I said before in the first story, hey, people were saved, they were set free, and they were on their way. Whether it was the first story where it didn't work out quite well or the second one, we're both saved, set free, and on our way. Um, oh, just a side thought. When I was reading about the um, children of Israel coming out of Egypt, I was thinking about, you know, our town and all the radu uh, that's been happening and the, uh, the suicide and the homicide and uh, the drugs, biggest drug bust in all of New Zealand, and everything seems to be ramping up. And the thought that came to me was like when Moses went to set the people free, the response of Pharaoh was to double their labor to make it even harder. And I thought in our community, like for the people who are enslaved, is that the labor's been doubled, it's been made harder, and hope has been squashed. It's like, oh, yeah, so you can have that one for free. Um, so anyway, like in the first story, we're on our way, and um, sometimes we come up against difficult things, and we all do. Um, children of Israel come up against the Red Sea. Nowhere to go, and God comes through. And he does. We call out to God, and he comes through for us. I mean, um, they had crazy stuff. Food fell out of heaven, bread, and birds. And yet, uh, those people, as we do, we still find time to moan about different bits and pieces. <clears throat> so... My, um, getting back to my message, eh? how to get rid of stuff, why we should get rid of stuff. Um, the story continues on, and then in Exodus 20, which I think I've got a slide for, and I have to read it off the screen because I didn't memorize all of it. I just want to read this bit of Exodus 20. And it's the start of the Ten Commandments. And God sp spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath and the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who who love me and keep my commandments. And um, I don't know, small um, revelation for me. Hey, when you think of the Ten Commandments, what's the first one that you think of? 
not what is the first one. What's the first one you think of? Any volunteers? Yeah, yeah hey, it's, it's like that. Same as me. Do not commit murder. Don't commit adultery. I can't even remember the rest. And that was the same as me. I was like, but um, God, he's pretty on to it, eh? I was like, man, if, uh, if I was him and I'm not, I'll put, you know, number one. Make number one the main one. And we don't even remember number one, eh? Have no other gods before me. And then number two, similar to it, no idols. And I was like, ooh, I didn't even talk about that. In my mind, idols is like, it's an old school thing, eh? Little bits of uh, metal or wood or something to look at and to worship. So the stuff I'm talking about this morning is that. It says, have no other gods before me and those idols and um, what that looks like for us today. Anyway. Better not get lost in my notes. And um, I thought, yeah, that's cool. We put them first. But then a few verses down, eh? In Exodus 20, 22 to 25, he goes and reinforces the point just in case we missed it. And it uh, reads like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. I suppose I didn't need to leave the last verse in there, but I thought it's weird anyway. Um, lost my place. Too much joking. Um, yeah, don't have anything alongside God. And like me, it's like, I don't, I don't really. What, what is in... What is an idol? Um, and, and what is a God? I don't. I'm a Christian. I, I worship God. You know, it's God and that's it. But is it? Um, the other point there, like God speaks to us. It's not like we're um, out there in the world with no communication with God. See, he speaks to us and he tells us, man, he's like, come on. I've got so much more for you. Okay. Cool. So, so the story carries on. Um, well, it doesn't carry on very far. He like makes that statement. And then the next part is all about uh, what God wants to put in place for his presence to be with the people. So it's all about the tabernacle and the ark and how to build it, la, 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 la. And then we come down to um, chapter 32, and it's talking about the golden calf. Um, Moses is up the mountain. He's spending time with God. And um, I don't know, I thought it was interesting. He was up there for 40 days. Hey, and that's all it took, uh, 40 days without, without the man of God there who's checking up on us or checking up on them for them to revert back to what they knew. It's like, ooh, so maybe that's like the first story. Hey, Christian, just for a little while and then 40 days, throw it away. But if we're more staunch, if we're more holy, we might be like the second story. It'll take us 40 years going around in a circle. Cool. <laughs> One's not better than the other. Cool. Um, did I record chapter 32? I did. 
I like all the scriptures. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. He brought you up out of Egypt. I was, I'd never read that verse before where they, I knew about the golden calf. I knew they bowed down and worshipped it. But I didn't know they had said, went and put them in the place of God and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt, referring to the um, golden calf. So my thoughts about this. We're saved, we can be saved, and we're free, but we're not changed or transformed. You know, we, we moan, we complain, we're stuck, we're frustrated, we can be confused. And we can look back at what we had in Egypt with rose-colored glasses. And as soon as there's nobody there to tell us, come on, come on, come on, it's, not, it's only a short step for us to revert back to needing something else to fill that spot, that God space. And we raise for ourselves idols and images that fit in with what we want or what we're accustomed to. <clears throat> and then to make it worse, we celebrate that thing for the freedom that God gave us, eh? which ironically puts us back in bondage. Um, the, the things I'm talking about is like uh, in Jeremiah 29, we hear, well, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a future. And we're like, God wants to prosper me, yay. He's God over here. But then up alongside that, our ideas and our images of prosperity is, man, God wants to give me a whole lot of money. Hey, and then, you know, if things do work out and they're going all right, then we celebrate our success in it. Man, my career is amazing. And we worship our career or we worship however the money came to us or whatever it is that we're focused on instead of God who actually put that thing in place in the first place. How often have you seen it or done it yourself where have you seen breakthrough or someone gets saved and then they go back? Why do we go back? God sets us free, but then our images and our idols of what it means to be free take us somewhere else. God is jealous. I was like, hey, God is loving. He's my loving father. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And we love that, but hey, oh, he's all right. He's a loving father like my dad. Just let it slide. But he's not. He's also jealous. Have no other gods but me. He's not. He's loving, but he's not lenient. Hey, there, there is a line. And, um, but for us, we're like, we'll make him what we want him to be. God's there, but alongside him, we'll uh, superimpose our image of what a loving father is. Or we'll superimpose what we think it should be. And we worship that. The thinking all along that we're worshiping God, but no, we're paying homage to something else and we're saying, putting it in the place of God. Anyway, how many things <clears throat> do we still do our own way? And that's what we're talking about, eh? An idol or an image is anything that you worship in the place of God. Everything we should do, eh? And we say it should be submitted to God. You know, God's, He's number one. 
not one of many. And um, it can apply to any area of your life. I was written down a few. What about our relationships? Hey, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid himself down for it. What's our image of what a husband should be? And where did that come from? And we put that alongside. Yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm going to be a good husband. I'll look after my wife by making sure that she can go shopping. And they're making sure that there's enough money and good things. But we elevate that to put beside what God would say your number one responsibility is, eh? Make sure that she's covered with the word. Make sure that you're leading her somewhere. Make sure that you're washing her with the water of the word. But alongside it, we add to it, we have our own ideas and gods that we worship at, we pay attention to. We put them alongside what God. What about your kids? Hey, do we read any scriptures about our kids? Or do we watch Oprah? Well, Oprah talks about kids, doesn't she? Or Alan. What are, what are the things that are informing our images about how we look after our kids? Is, is it God and his word? Or have we gone somewhere else and grabbed something else and we put that alongside? We're Christian and we worship God. But with our kids, how are we raising them? What about your money? Money, money, money. Uh, it's amazing the uh, amount and variety of topics that there is in the Bible. And it's like, oh, he's onto it, man. He's not going to let you get away with nothing. But for your good, hey, what about our money? We should find out what he says about our money. Like I said before, he says he'll prosper us. But then our own ideas and image of prosperity can take us somewhere else. Hey, I'm too busy to come to church because I'm working. And that might be absolutely valid. Could be absolutely valid. But what is number one in your heart? He wants to be number one. And that's it. There isn't a number two and a number three. It's not like we put them in order. God is number one, and then there's a two and a three and a four. It's, there's just a number one, and that's it. And if he's not number one, then something else you're worshipping. Ooh, it sounds bad when you say you're worshipping it, eh? But we do it. We, you know, we just do it. I'm too busy. I've got too much on. And church and family. We can elevate our family, eh? I mean, have a good family. Spend time with your family. But even your family can't come before God. He's jealous. Cool. Why don't we do what he says we can do? And as I was saying before, I ask, I ask the question all the time. And um, my dad was a pastor, as I mentioned, and we used to have, like, mean as debates. And, you know, he was good at preaching. And they'd get home, and I said, Yeah, well, you said when you was preaching to all the people, my God can do abundantly, exceedingly more than I could ever imagine. But he didn't. Yeah, you know, what about this and what about that? And, like, Dad, why are you so stressed out about finance? When you said... You said when you're up here, my God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. And we have the mean as debates. It's that question, eh? Why, do we, why don't we do what he says we can do? Or why can't we do what he says we can do? Hey, 
Christ said we will do um, greater things than he did. And some of us have seen it. Have I seen one healing? I ain't never seen anybody healing. I haven't laid hands on anybody and seen them healed. What, what is that about? And I'm suggesting to you, it's about getting rid of our stuff. All the other things that we worship alongside them. What about this old saying? If you're a Christian, you know this one. He says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Hey, he did say it, and I do believe it. But it's like, but then where is it? It's not settled. Okay, I say, man, alongside what God says, we put in our own images and our own idols of what that's to look like. And God's jealous. He's like, no, it's just me. That's it, full stop for everything. You know, uh, we can put, there's heaps of things we put there. I'm a moldy. I don't do it like that. So what? He's God. You know, um, I, I can't say that to that person because I respect my elders. <laughs> oh, and there's heaps. Man, we all have our own niche, our own area in the church where we can work. I'll just stick to mine. You know, I'm not qualified. I'll be laughed at. You probably will be. You know, if they really wanted to know God, they would just come to church. I don't need to ask them, you know, if they really, they'll just come to church. I just serve. Pastors do that. That's not my job. I don't know what to say. There's so many things that we add. Hey, God says we can do it. That's enough. Don't put your own cultural ideas and your own things next to it and the excuses. I board all those excuses down. I say, God, what is this? What is, you know, I can't, can't just say it's everything. Then you'll go home and you won't even think about anything. Hey. So I took all these excuses we got, squashed them all up. And I reckon it comes down to one thing, and it's pride. Oh, I'm not proud. I'm humble. Are you? Pride. And I thought, well, who was the first dude who um, came up with that pride thing? Hey, it was the father of lies himself. Hey, he had pride in his heart. He wanted to be like God. Okay. And I'm not saying we want to be amazingly powerful like God, but we want to be in charge. We want to do things the way that we want to do them which is pride. We put ourselves in the place of God. When he says we can do it, and you're like, oh, that's outside my comfort zone. What is that? It's pride. You're saying, God, no, I know better than what you know. I know me. I've known me for a long time. It doesn't work. I don't do that. I don't like it. Pride. I like it, eh? And we all got some of that somewhere. And it's even in the church. It's rife in the church. And I partake in it sometimes too. Dress a certain way when I come to church on Sundays. Talk a certain way. You know, I've got, I've got a revelation. Hey, we, we come in, we're hurting and we're paru, but we get in here and we, I hope nobody notices. What is that? It's pride. Putting your, elevating yourself to that spot where God should be or is. Okay, I've got another scripture, just so I don't get too far off track. Romans 1, 18, 23, what does it say? 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And that's us. We do it. We know who God is. We know that he's all powerful. We know, we know. but we still decide to, nah, I can't. I got my stuff. I have to hold on to my stuff. Hey, children of Israel, they came out of Egypt. God opened up the whole sea, and then he ran down heavenly bread and quail so that they could eat. Their clothes never wore out. It's like, whoo, our God is amazing. And we know it, but we still put next to him, honor. He's amazing, but I've got my stuff. I've got my reputation. I've got my career that I have to maintain. I've got my good family. We've got heaps of stuff. And those things get elevated to a point where we put them alongside God. I'm not saying you no longer believe in God. And we are already set free. Hey, we're set free, but we're not changed and we're not transformed, which excludes us from having the full fullness of what God has promised to us. I suppose as a church, I'm passionate about the prophetic words and seeing what God's going to do. But if we don't deal with our stuff, we're going to exclude ourselves from seeing the fullness of that. Okay. No, no, no. Oh, you did that one, eh? Cool. So that's enough of a downer. Hey, how do we start? What do we do? How do we deal with this stuff? Get rid of the stuff. Stop hoarding it. And you're going to be like, oh, I've heard that one before. So um, how to start this transformation and this change? Uh, Romans 12, 2. What does it say, John? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many times have we heard about like, man, let's find out what the will of God is for your life. And what's he called you to do? And I don't know, we're in here Sunday, we're out, we're back in Sunday, we're out, we're back. Was that God's will for you? Sunday to Sunday, paycheck to paycheck? It's not. It's up here. And I love that they even put it in there, eh? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Man, Christianity is not a free ride. It's not just the big stamp, you're going to heaven. Yeah carry on it's not it's a sacrifice and um if we want to be part of that sacrifice is the renewing of your mind our mind is amazing it's powerful hey you can you can remember things from 30 years ago if you're that old but um <laughs> hey you can remember numbers you remember birthdays you remember people's facial features you can recognize voices your mind is is hugely powerful 
but it's conditioned, just like the children of Israel. Hey, they were in Egypt for 100 years, and they become conditioned to a particular way of doing things, which informs what they worship. For us, we're conditioned by the way our family is. Anybody ever heard that? Ah, he's just like his papa. Or, man, he's got a temper like his nanny. Your nanny was just like that. What is that? We're conditioned. We're programmed. And it all informs our stuff, what we hold up and what we worship. Our mind is a powerful thing. But if it's still full, if it's conditioned to work one way, what, what's God going to do with it? Hey, it's us. We have to reset our mind. He saved us. He set us free. He did it. We've got to do the mahi with our mind, the sacrifice part. Cool. I look at it in Ephesians 4, 23. You got that, John? So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, or spirit of your minds in another version, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We talked about it being a sacrifice it's not I'm, not, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying we can go out of here this weekend and kapow, it's done. Um, up here it says we have to take off the old man. First, you've got to recognize it if you're going to take it off. So find it, take it off, and you have to put on the new self. It's like, how do we know what we're putting on if we don't know who it is that's getting us to put it on or who it is that we're putting on? We're putting on Christ, eh? the life and the way that he would have us live. Get back to what we are created to be like, which is like God. How are we going to get back to being like God? Not God, but being like God. Eh? We're created in his image. How do we get back to, <coughs> to that? I just thought maybe it's like a mirror. Eh? If we're created in his image, if we look at him like as in a mirror, then we should be able to see what's not right, what's not adjusted. Um, and then in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. Oh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a sacrifice. You can't be a Christian and enjoy all the benefits without, um, without a bit of sacrifice. Uh, I think for us in our speedy, fast times that we live in, the Word is almost an outdated, unused um, book. Well, it's not a book anymore. It's like an internet. It's a phone. It's, but, but we don't go there as much as we should. If we want to get a good idea of what we should look like, what is the image that we should be reflecting, we've got to go back to where He is. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is God. And it's not a dusty, old, boring book, which I found out a little bit when I was like researching. And the internet's amazing, eh? You get the Bible like in 10 different versions. You just type in like a topic and boop, 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 boop. Man, it's easy, but it's hard. It's a little bit of sacrifice. 
take that time out of your day that was dedicated to worshipping that other, whatever it was. Hey, that thing that occupies your time, the thing that you're like, oh, man, I love that thing. Consciously decide, man, I'm taking that thing, I'm taking it off, and I'm going to spend that time getting to know my God. The Word is definitely always going to be a component of getting to know God. We can't do the hyper-spiritual, God just speaks to me. And He does speak to you. But the Word is definitely going to be an integral component of getting to know God. Okay. Oh my gosh, I'm over time. I better hurry up. The next one, man. Um, point two, man, on how you start to get rid of your stuff. And I like this one. It's get help. Or actually, it shouldn't be get help, man. If we're all doing our job, we should just go and help. And there's a story in um, John 11 about Lazarus. Hey, he died, which is fine. We know the story. Jesus came and Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus was brought back to life, just like we are when we give our hearts to God. He's brought back to life, but he's still bound and held in the grave clothes. They're paru. Hey, and I think as a church, sometimes we're like Martha, who's like, uh, maybe don't roll away that stone. He's like, Jesus, he's been dead four days. He's going to be stink. Hey, and we don't want to engage with stink things. What would that look like? Hey, we need to help and we need to get help. Anyway, God calls him out. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes alive as we do, but we still have our stuff. He's bound in his grave clothes. And some of our stuff is stink. Hey, and then he says to the people around them, what does he say? <clears throat> Take off the grave clothes and let him go. We need help. Some of our stuff, you can't let go of it on your own. And up in the church, we're too busy trying to look good and pretend that we don't have stuff. Hey, Marie, we're walking around like mummies on the inside. Hey, I, I can't find out how to make enough money to make this work. I've got I to work all these hours. And you need somebody else to come and show you, oh, well, this is how you do your budget. Hey, I, I got a revelation from God, and he showed me about being a good steward of what I've got. And we help each other to take off the grave clothes and the things that bind us. Um, and because I'm out of time, I'm going to wrap it up. But probably out of all of it, like for us as a church, this is where it's at. It's helping each other to get rid of those things, get rid of our stuff. We've all got stuff. I don't care if you've been here for ages. you got some stuff. Hey. <laughs> and then, um, what was it? Oh, yeah. That was the other thing. I was thinking, you know, like, New era, era of conquest, all those prophetic words, they're amazing, eh? And, and to me, they're like, they reek of revival. They're like, revival, yeah. And I love revival. I can't wait. But in my mind, I've got romantic notions about revival being a packed church and amazing Holy Spirit times. And I'm sure they will be. But revival is the bringing back to life of something that was dead. Hey, revival is going gonna to have a stench to it. And it's our job to help unwrap those things, set people free, so that God is in the place that He should be. Amen. Oh. And um, I'm over. Lucky Pastor Paul's not here. He'd be winking at me like. <laughs> I love our pastor. We need um, 
We need people like that, or else people like me will just go over time and end up doing whatever the heck we want. But, um, yeah. Nah, thank you for listening, eh? But it's as simple as that, eh? Get rid of your stuff. It's easy, but it's hard. Start with something. Don't make the thing so big. Oh, I'm so terrible, and I've got a lot of stuff. Start with one thing. Take it off. Find out what God says about that particular thing and put it on. And um, as we do... I think, I think we just we start to come back into focus. The image that we reflect more and more becomes the image of God. That the, the confusion, the frustration, the lack of clarity. And we'll be able to answer the questions about, hey, I do do what he says he can do because that's my only focus. What did Christ do? I only do what I see my Father in heaven do because that's the only thing that he was tuned into. That'll be us. We'll be on our way. New era. New era of conquest. We'll be astounded at what he will do. There'll be unusual miracles because he said there could be. And because we don't have a pluralistic focus, we're just focused on him. One. We only got one God. They're not, we don't order them. God's most important. Then this, then this. It's just God. Everything is in God. Your ideal family is in God. Hey, your ideal vocation, your work, it's in God. He's that big. Anyway, I'm going to stop or else I'll keep going. Thank you, Lord, for letting me last 30 minutes. <laughs> it's a miracle. Thank you, Lord. I was going to get everybody to stand up in here this morning. us to, um, Lord, get rid of our stuff, Father, to put down, to put aside, actually to destroy, Father, anything that we've raised up to be alongside you, Lord. Lord, that our one and only focus would be you, Father. And you, everything has its place and is held together. Lord, bring us back to that. Give us that uh, enthusiasm and energy, Lord, the stamina we need, Lord, to make the sacrifice that is needed in order to put down our stuff.